0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing a -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at blue nile can help your love sparkle
1: They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-Heated Wearables to help soothe sore back muscles. Normatec Compression Boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation.
0: And Hypervolt Massage Guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. First, the bad news.
1: Welcome back, Hornets fans. The draft show is back and the draft lottery is approaching. Joining me for this week's episode is Chase Whitney. Chase, you told me that you've not done anything today but prepared this podcast. I'm, I'm ready for a, a... I'm ready for Steph Curry game seven against Kings-like performance right here.
0: This is going to be like the Will Chamberlain memes where it's just like 55 points, 22 rebounds, 18 <laughs> assists... Like uh, 20 made field goals, like that, that's yeah. going to be me in this pot. I mean, I really haven't done anything. Today I'm, I'm hoping you carry me.
1: Stuff. I, I'm coming off a three-hour hypnobirthing course with my wife, which uh, I on a on a Friday there night here finished at like just before 10 o'clock when we're recording this. It was it's a long night, so I'm gonna need I'm gonna need that energy. I'm gonna need to bring it tonight. But a little bit of news here for the podcast. This is the start the uh, notable among you might have realized that we've not had any uh, basketball podcast network ad recently. And that is because in very sad news, the basketball podcast network has ceased to exist, which is a real shame because we were really happy there. So we just want to say firstly, a big quick thank you to the basketball podcast network for bringing us in. It's been our home since your Hornets podcast launched and it's been a really good, good home for us. We've linked up with other people in the network, We've been able to you know, use some of the advertising. We've been able to do some really great stuff with the live streams. They've been great to us. But we are now really excited to announce that we're joining the Fan First Sports Network, a new network, which you're probably thinking, I've, I've not heard of that one before. The reason being is because it is still in the process of setting up. We are one of the first five basketball NBA pods that they have started. But this podcast network is the... Uh, has come about after the SB Nation Vox Media layoffs that you might remember reading about back in February when a lot of websites or podcasts that were supported by Vox Media and SB Nation were made redundant, and they've all banded together to create this new network. And even though we weren't part of that, um, we've been very happily been selected to come on board that network as the Charlotte Hornets podcast. Um, So you will probably hear some stuff about the Fan First Sports Network in the coming weeks, Make sure you go check them out and follow them on Twitter. It is still in the process of starting up, but I'm telling you, that I've heard some of the plans here. They have big, big plans. I really do think this is going to be one of the, the leading networks here in the podcast region space over the next couple of years. So uh, I hope everyone has decided for me to join Fan first Sports Network. And other than that, let's uh, let's move on to our show, Chase. Um,
0: let's rock and roll. Let's do it.
1: Chase, tell the listeners what we're what we touching on today.
0: We're going to talk about our top three candidates for the 27th overall pick in the draft. Mm. The, the Rightfully so, the uh, list lesser talked about of the Hornets' two first-round picks in this year's draft uh, comes via the Denver Nuggets. Uh, it's a bit, bit of a wide open field, honestly, for the players that could be available uh, at that pick right now, which is why we wanted to kind of hit on it, because uh, we can talk about a whole bunch of guys that we like for that spot. Uh, and then after that, we're going to touch on some stock risers and fallers. The Who has that seen their draft stock rise and fall as of late and who we think will see it rise or fall in the future before the draft uh, unfolds here in about a month and a half As time is steadily ticking.
1: Absolutely. And we know once we get into combine season, workout season, which has already just started for Charlotte as of today, the Hornets are working out. Imani Bates, uh, very well-known uh, freshman technically, Uh, But in his second year of college basketball, um, who I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you'll know who Armani Bates is. Um, Jalen Slawson from Furman. Interesting guy. Um, Something me and you have talked about a little bit before. I think during the tournament is interesting. So we're already underway here, but we're going to get really into Intel season coming up here, which is going to be interesting. So excited for the show. Um, Interestingly, just before we started recording the podcast, there was a little bit of kind of breaking draft news, which I think could impact the Hornets which is Derek Whitehead. Um, he has undergone a second foot surgery, I believe on his fifth metatarsal. And this is essentially an admittance that the first foot surgery that happened in the summer of 2022, which kind of affected his season at Duke. And everyone said that he didn't have the same bounce, movement, athleticism this year. Well, you've kind of been right. right. Um, he's gone for the second surgery. He is expected to make a full recovery before the NBA season, but I imagine he will not be able to work out for anyone he will not be able to play Summer League with this. Um, so, but he is definitely in the draft. So uh, just what's your initial reaction kind of hearing the news today?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it definitely makes sense that it wasn't fully solved, the, the foot issue that he had during the regular season. Because like you said, one of his better traits in, as a high schooler was not only his shooting, but his ability to kind of be an athlete at, off of closeouts as well be able to uh, you know he was a pretty vertical player in high school compared to what he was in college so it definitely makes sense that you know he ended up having to have a second one and correct that issue that lingered throughout the season and limited him I don't know how many games he ended up actually playing but there were a couple of different stretches in the year where he was either missing games or was it was very clear that he wasn't his full self so definitely good that he's at least going to be ready by early or by the start of next season, which uh, was in the report as well. So it's good that he's not going to like miss time f- into next year. It'll just be yeah. the off season, which is, is important to be able to play summer league and stuff, which sucks that he likely won't be able to, but at least he'll be healthy for his rookie season.
1: Yeah. And I, I do think that this probably means that he is less likely to play a key role, wherever he ends up in his rookie season, just because we know missing summer league Maybe being limited in training camp, like that does just affect you being able to get up to speed. It's already an adjustment, but definitely an an even greater adjustment trying to do that short notice. But it's really interesting. I couldn't figure out if this helps this draft stock or hinders it. Okay. So, like right now, if you look at the consensus draft boards, the No Ceilings website, and we're going to reference this a few times today, they they basically go through No Ceilings NBA draft website on Substack. Make sure you check them out. They go through and take out the mock drafts from ESPN, Bleach Report, uh, Tankathon, The Ringer, etc., And they, they kind of bring in the average rank. And Derek Whitehead comes in at 19 in the first round. And this is before this news. Now, this can go two ways. Does his stock go up because you go, well, he clearly wasn't healthy this year. And now you know there's a clear reason for that. And his level of play was held back. Or does it go down because... You're talking about an 18-year-old who has now had two foot surgeries in 12 months, which is just something it has got to be scary. Like You have to do your research there. Wh- which way do you think it goes here?
0: Honestly, I think it might make it go down a little bit. Uh, just because, for one, a thought that I've had on him for a while is that the NBA might not be as down on him per se as you know, the draft community seems to be and like media analysts and draft analysts seem to be, he's like slipped pretty much into the consensus, like late teens, early twenties range, where at the beginning of the season it was fairly common to have him like comfortably inside the top 10. Um, And now he's going to be missing, like we've said, the whole off season leading up to his rookie season, which means that the first month or two of his rookie year, which when the regular season is happening is going to be his, you know, kind of preseason training camp getting acclimated to the league and when he hasn't really had any way to, you know, dip his feet in the water yet. uh, I think it might hurt it like a little bit. Maybe it'll bring that, you know, NBA draft range down to where the draft community media range has it now, like into the late teens and early 20s uh, and a team that's maybe in like a little bit better of a spot to have somebody not play a ton and be on a guaranteed contract in their first season. Uh, just kind of sit and get healthy and get some maybe maybe some G League reps or something.
1: Yeah, I do agree. Um, I think this is maybe more interesting because I think it really pushes him down into that Charlotte range now. Like they, they have a pick at 27, they have a pick at 34. I think if, I yeah, I, I kind of, I do agree. I think this probably just knocks him down a little bit um, and might be more of a factor. Charlotte now might, might be available around those picks. He might not have been before. So something that we're going to, we're going to continue to monitor here, but let's move on to our main topic of discussion for today. Uh, we want to look at candidates for the 27th pick. And like you alluded to earlier, probably from about 18 to 35, anyone could be available at 27. There is not a really kind of set idea of like who the top 25 will be yet. That will probably emerge, or we'll get a better idea post-draft combine, closer to the draft. But right now, it seems pretty open. There's a lot of guys who can slide, a lot of guys who can move up. But, yeah, we've both gone away, and we've looked at some of the guys who we kind of, at this early stage in the process, we think are possibly available at 27, uh, and guys who we like. So, Chase, you want to hit us here with your the first guy?
0: All right, so in recent weeks – uh, it's, it seems increasingly unlikely that this player is going to be available in the Hornets pick at 27. Might require some sort of a trade-up, which with how many picks the Hornets have in the early 30s and 40s, certainly a possibility. Uh, but that player is C.D. Sissoko. Uh, he's a French wing from G League Ignite. Uh, he played the last couple of years in the Spanish second division system, coming up in the youth ranks with Basconia. Uh, super, super interesting wing prospect would basically slot in as the best young perimeter defender on the team could fill like a versatile wing defender role uses strength and athleticism and natural playmaking ability to contribute offensively while he gets consistent reps to like improve the consistencies and shot mechanics, which is probably the biggest weakness right now uh, that has dropped his stock probably throughout the year. He was only a 30, a low thirties percent shooter from three with G league Ignite. It's a big reason why he's like more of a mid to late first guy as opposed to late lottery. Uh, But I I mean, I would bet money that his stock rises between now and the drafts, uh, and that he's probably not even available at 27, uh, just given the super high upside and all the tools that he has as a like a two way playmaker. But as of today, he is by far uh, the best upside play for the 27th overall pick for a guy that might be there.
1: I can't believe you did that. I had Sidi Soku written down as my first guy too. And th- we have not great minds
0: think alike, my friend. That's all I gotta we, say.
1: Th- we, we have not sat down and gone, who are the guys you want to talk about? Um, and this like this is a complete coincidence. And there is literally about 25 guys like he of us could have picked here. Um you I, I agree with your points. I, I will say I feel like there was one thing that like for me it's like buried the lead a little bit here. He had a massive growth spurt. So in the last two years, he's gone from 6'2 to 6'7. He was never a big guy but growing up. He was a point guard and we've seen a lot of these stories in the past and that's how these bigger guys generally seem to have some of these ball skills because they grew up with the ball in their hands. And I think the fact that he came over to G League Ignite, you're right, he's definitely an upside pick because if you look at the production right now, it's not efficient from anywhere. He is not necessarily because someone who I think will impact you with winning right away, but you look at his like physical body. He's got like an absolutely insane body, but he's got the skills of a guard with his passing. Um, I think he is a guy who could eventually have no weakness because he plays both sides of the ball. If he can learn to basically just score efficiently, then he is going to be a really well-rounded player here with athleticism, size, speed, skill, reading the game, feel for the game. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I love about City so much. His passing is outstanding. I mean, just... I mean, he doesn't do fancy passes. It's not like um, some of the other guys. and It's just not like M.N. Thompson. But like his bounce passes are so crisp, so in line, that if yep. someone's cutting to the basket, they don't have to do a split step to gather the ball. They don't have to reach down to get it. It's just all his placement of his passes are so good. I just think he'd be someone you like easy out of dribble handoff action. He would be fantastic. But the thing is he's never, he was 6'2 two years ago. He was never in dribble handoff action. He was never that guy setting screens for guards. He was the guard. So I I think he's got to find himself, but I agree the nuts and bolts that are there for city Sissoko are, are insane. Really. It's, It's somewhere like the 27th pick and, you, you talked about, like, his, his physicalities and athleticism. Do you know that he was second in dunks in the G League amongst everybody?
0: Yes. Yeah. That's one of my favorite C.D. Sissoko stats is that he, as a teenage wing, was one of the league leaders in total dunks. And that, for me, is also a huge indicator... And it, like one of my favorite indicator stacks stats of a player that's going to succeed at the next level. Oh yeah. And he, as a teenager in a professional league with like grown men, even as a teenager, whose strength and athleticism stands out, he's playing against other players that are very strong and athletic themselves. And he was just dunking all over people at the end of the year. He had so many posters just like flying down the lane, either off ball. He's he can do it, handle it in transition, and just. Take grab a rebound, go full court, and dunk the ball. He's, he's a crazy athlete. It it's, makes it all the more impressive that he was like d- done this after going through a growth spurt and that his frame like filled out that quickly. Cause yeah. like he is an insane athlete. He's super strong, and the natural feel for the game on both ends is crazy tools to work with.
1: And I watched um, a full like YouTube breakdown. I, I want to say he did it with no ceilings crew. He could have done it with the though. I can't remember now. But he, he did a fantastic on YouTube sit down where he talked through some tape, talked about his strengths and his weaknesses. And like keep in mind, City obviously City is from France originally, speaks great English. So straight away, this isn't a situation where you bring someone over and they're having to learn the language. He's already been in the US, but even before that, you could tell he was like spoke really well. And you know, you can get just a feel of guys like how mature they are and how switched on they are. And he came across exceptionally well um, and I think you know going across to ignite was a great move for him just to get used to this US system to get used to probably playing a different role than he was playing in France because he didn't play much before he came across the League Ignite with Basconi he wasn't like a, an every every game player but city Soko he, he is right now if you look at the no ceilings I, I mentioned earlier the uh, the top the essentially like the net uh, draft rankings, On nocealings.com, his net ranking is 27th. So ESPN has him at 35, Bleacher Report 42. No Ceilings have him at 27, Tankathon 27, The Ringer 24th. So he's right in that range. But I do agree with you. He is a candidate who I think could rise up draft boards, especially if he shoots the ball well, because that's one of the warts, right? 64% from the line, 31% from three. If he's not shooting the ball well in workouts, then... It's another question of like, oh, well, you know, what's this guy? Is he just going to be like a defender hustle guy who can't shoot? And what's his role going to be offensively? But I I I, I would definitely take the risk at 27 to invest someone who I think has some of the tools that you normally get towards the late lottery.
0: Yeah, no, I would be totally 100% on board if the hornets wanted to make that sort of investment cuz
1: why do you think he's at 20 like why do you think right now his stock is lower than like towards the back end of that first round what do we what do we think it is is it just the shooting
0: i think not only that he kind of struggles to create for himself unless it's like as like a downhill straight yeah. line drive to the basket uh he's not like he has a i don't want to say he's a bad ball handler or even that he's like really even that far below average cuz he has like a tight conventional like functional ball handling ability but he can't really he's not much of like a step back or sidestep guy in tight space he kind of needs like a lot of open court area to be able to pull something like that off but if he can add just even like very simple moves like pump fake off of when someone runs him off the line like sidestep to the left or the right be able to hit a three because he has pretty decent mechanics like when he is in a rhythm and he's obviously like very strong and uses his lower body and stuff like that, he has no problems. Like in that regard, it's just like a little bit of inconsistent touch. Right. But hey, you want to you not- want to hear an interesting stat that I found uh, for yeah. CD Sissoko? Give it to me. So when I was I've watched a bunch of Ignite games in the last uh, few days, and uh, a stat that I found in the G League regular season uh, in shots that are from twenty to twenty four or twenty three to twenty four feet, which is basically a three with your foot right on the line. Uh, he had twenty three of those this year. Shot forty three and what? a half percent.
1: So, and this is his first year adjusting to the NBA line. Because, yes. So, exactly. so that's that is why he has obviously got the toe in the line because his muscle memory is oh I'm here I sat and I shoot. That's fascinating. Right. that is a great and it, stat.
0: and it, wow. and it works perfectly. He is a good shooter when he's able to do that. And uh, while I was doing that, and he put in the game again that they played against Fort Wayne, I believe. The first play of the game, he's probably at like 27 or 28 feet in rhythm, just like catches a pass from Scoot Henderson, lets it fly immediately. It looks perfect. It goes right in. So there is potential for it. But when you stretch that out from 25 to 29 feet and 78 attempts, so he actually took way more like deeper threes, like a couple steps back from the line than right on the line. He shot 26.9%. So I think he just needs, I literally just think he needs reps i um, like with a deeper yeah. line, taking deep threes, like off the hop, like stepping into it, like in rhythm, like adjusting, squaring up, and go like letting it go. Because the mechanics and the touch were very inconsistent, but it doesn't like look bad when he shoots at all. Well, like you'd never watch him shoot and be like, oh, we need to fix this jump shot. He just doesn't shoot not. a high percentage.
1: And I've got my own stat for you, <clears throat> Ooh, which I tweeted we out earlier. You might, you may have, may not seen this, but uh, City Sissoko on unguarded catch and shoot shots he's shooting mm-hmm. just 21.6%, which is which is terrible. Okay, it is yes. terrible. Unguarded sh- catch and shoot shots he's shooting 35%. So he is shooting like a, he's a clearly right this year the numbers show he's a better shooter guarded than he is wide open. Um and he has 30 like 37 guarded attempts as well. So actually shooting like 35% on guarded catch and shoots isn't too bad for someone in the G League. Um, who is adjusting to a new line? Like that's that's not too bad. It's actually the open shots that are bringing his percentage down, and that just kind of feels like he didn't shoot as well as maybe he is. If it's the other way around, you go well. Obviously, yeah, you're wide open. You got all the time to line up the seams and get your foots feet set and everything. But no, when he's he's rushed into it, he actually shoots a better ball. So again, for me, I think there are some underlying statistics there that both you brought here and both I've brought. Which, which really suggests here that City has some shooting upside. Uh, but I, I do agree with what you said. I think his lack of – you know, he's not going to be a guy who just give the ball and say go create for yourself and get the bucket. He's never going to be that, and I think that's probably why he's never going to be a, a lottery-level talent in this year's draft.
0: All right. Hit me with another guy. I think okay. we definitely agree on C.D. Sissoko, that's for sure. But <laughs> We do. Hit me with um, someone that I'm just going to be revolted by here.
1: I don't know if you're going to be revolted by this player. Right. Um, the Hornets, we've all heard the discussion about Dennis Smith Jr. Should we bring Dennis Smith Jr. back? You know, him or Kelly Oubre. Um, What if I could tell you you could get a Dennis Smith Jr. who could shoot with the 27th pick? Does that interest you?
0: Yes, and I think I know who you're going to say. And I, I'm, I'm into this already Mark if Assassin i if I'm right yes i'm into it there we go great I'm into it.
1: uh six two and a half let's start okay here's a small guard in the nba does have a six seven wingspan but screw it he might be six two and a half just like dennis mcjr is probably like a similar size he can guard the hell out of the ball like he picks up full court slides his feet is physical strong forces a ton of turnovers um and he is a he really is like a combo guard. And we saw Dennis McJunior playing a bit with LaMelo ball last year. I think that's something that Marcus Sasser can do. And I think he can come in and play in day one. Unlike City, who I think would need some G League time and seasoning, I think Marcus Sasser could be in a rotation next year. He is, you know, twenty five percent of his players are in spot up, twenty-seven percent was a pick and roll ball handler. So he can both play he's and he's excellent in his efficiency in both with the ball in his hands and as a spot up player. And that level of versatility late in the first round of someone who can defend at like a really good level, defend ones. That's a really interesting fit. So you're you're into Marcus Sasser.
0: So into it. I have a take for you. Of players that are, you know, not at the in the we'll say the top ten, Marcus Sasser is the best ball handler in the class. I mean, he might be anyway, but like, his P&R splits or, like, snake dribbles when uh, splitting pick and roll, the like, keeping the ball out in front of him and keeping, like, a low dribble on drives, so impressive. Like, and on, on top of all of the great defense stuff and his ability to, you know, toggle between, like, point guard and off-ball guard offensively, like, he's a really good driver and ball handler. He can be—his he, finishing is, I think, is going to translate to the NBA, even though the size, again, is— there, especially is going to probably cause yeah. him a little bit more issue. This is challenge. His, you know, his, his right.
1: layup percentage at the rim was, was like, it's his percentage was actually good. But if you watch the tape, if he can use his handle, like you said, if he can like shake a guy with his handle and get himself a free layup, it's, right. it's fine. And he's that good. He can do it. The challenge he faces, if he has a guy who like forces him to finish over him, it is wild and out of control. So like if, if he doesn't shake the guy, he is very much going to struggle to finish inside.
0: Yeah, and those are really the only drawbacks with him, though, honestly. He's a good shooter. He's a good ball handler, good passer, good defender. He just has a couple of, you know, size athletic drawbacks that, again, this this is what renders him like somebody that's late in the first round, along with being an older player instead of being, you know, in the middle of the first round as well. Because, I mean, I completely agree that he could come in, if there, if any of the team, this is a rarity in this class or in this draft, but if any of the playoff teams in the late first rounds that kept their first round draft pick wanted to pick, like, fill their backup point guard slot with a younger player, he could be a guy that could step in and play, like, right away for a team that wants to compete next year.
1: I mean, you saw like Andrew Nemhard coming this year for the Pacers, yeah. play some point guard, play some shooting guard. Marcus Sasser, I think, could. Like like Andrew Nemhard was legit good this year. Like if yeah, if he was Marcus... just like a
0: quality backup point guard. <laughs> yeah. Not even yeah. the fact he was a rookie. Um,
1: I I don't want to say that Marcus Sasser will just do that because there's not many rookies who are as good as Andrew Nemhard was. But I could view him having the similar level like impact and role um, as Andrew Nemhard coming in as as an older player who just plays both ends. Coaches love him. Um, I mean, this, that, the height is an issue, but I've seen guys who are 6'5", 6'4", guards get bullied way more than Marcus Sasser ever does playing college basketball. And and on top of all of this, he was in, in the 97th percentile as a three-point shooter. Like, you know, he was the number one thing on every scouting report for Houston was don't let Marcus Sasser get open for three. And he just... Like all these little hop steps he has back into his threes, these little sidestep dribbles that you see from like, so like Harden taking, stuff like that. He, he has taken those. I mean, what do you think here? Like when I, I I have a strengths and weaknesses thing, my only weakness really is like the finishing inside, like through contact or through like a big, if there's a big overhelping. That is it. Why is Marcus Sasser down at 27? What What, what is the reason here?
0: I mean, I think that is on one of them i I do think that just his size in general kind of probably counts for a weakness because the defense is obviously very effective, but he's probably going to be a pretty strict point guard defender in the NBA I don't think he's very switchable at all because he doesn't have you know supreme like length and strength in the way that like a switchable guard defender that's a little bit smaller that like like Marcus Smart does, or something like that, and because even Dennis Smith Jr. for as great of a defender as he is, he's not like a super switchable guy either. Um,
1: is it a little about Xavier think... Mitchell, who we saw for the right? Kids, right? Yeah, he's like six right, one, exactly. He's a point guard defender, but is a very, very good point guard defender.
0: Yes, exactly, and the the, the age as well, I think, doesn't help him necessarily either. Not that he's like. You know, like an old player for his age. I believe he's he's 22 uh, for this class, which is. Yeah, he's at the upper end. I mean, that'll keep that'll keep you down a little bit, but it's nothing. You know, what's the difference between you know, him
1: but, and Davion Mitchell as draft
0: prospects. Honestly, n- not a ton. I think one, Davion that definitely benefits from being in a slightly weaker class. I think, but I mean, personally, I I didn't have Davion very much higher on my board than where I have Marcus Sasser right now, so. That lines up with my philosophy, personally. But uh, as we know, Davion Mitchell went, what was it? Was it nine, I think, to Sacramento? So, you know, Marcus Sasser is is not going to go nine. But
1: Yeah, and he – like, Davion Mitchell played on an exceptional Baylor team and Marcus Sasser played on a very good Houston team. I mean, both were, like, number one schools in the country. But, I mean – I think I do th- probably think David Mitchell's defense was a was even a step above Marcus Sasser's. Like, I thinking back, he was one of the best defensive yeah. players. But like Marcus Sasser's track record as a shooter is way better than David Absolutely. Mitchell. David Mitchell for his career was I think what thirty seven percent from three, and like he only shot above thirty two percent in his final year. Whereas Marcus Sasser, I think he shot what was at forty four percent last year, thirty eight percent this year on like super high volume. Um, so I definitely have more scope for him as an offensive player, and David Mitchell probably a little bit better of a playmaker too. But I think that Houston system this year, I I really wonder if they there's some more to Marcus Sasser's like ball handling, point point guard play, like all his like say his efficiency numbers were great. Um, what what do you think between City Sissoko which and Marcus Sasser, which of those two do you think are more likely to be available at twenty seven for shot?
0: Marcus Sasser for sure. I think I, I, I think CD, I, w- I would be more surprised if CD is available at 27 than I would be if he gets picked in the lottery, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. Just the young, young upside, late growth spurt, you know, size, wing, those guys generally rise more than a 6'2 senior. It's It's yeah. just, I agree. But I don't know when you look around the NBA, there's a lot of guys like that. And especially on the Charlotte team, they need a backup ball handler. And I think Marcus Sasser fills a very, very good role. I think he could, I, I don't want to lie and say, I think he gives you exactly what Dennis Smith Jr. gave this last year, because I think Dennis was probably uh, a higher level playmaker than we made him credit for. I thought his defense was, you know, again, at top five to ten guard defender in the nba and probably a bit more switchable but i think he could give you a good portion of that and not kill you as much offensively with his four spacing okay chase give me your next guy for 27 i mean I, I we was marcus Sasser one of your don't tell me he was one of your guys too
0: no he wasn't but okay. he was
1: he was on my short, your short you showed know, he was long on my short list.
0: mention yes my mm-hmm. long my very very long short list marcus Sasser was definitely on it but uh, this is definitely one of my guys. I think for the the draft class, I there are, he's definitely not you know an uncommon first rounder, but is definitely not somebody that the consensus would have as a first rounder. And that is Andre Jackson from Connecticut. He is a twenty one year old wing. He was a junior this year. He won the championship with UConn. Obviously, uh, I am just gonna get it out of the way now. He cannot shoot. He is in no way a floor spacer, and as a wing. Uh, or like wing forward type that's definitely an issue um but i think like c sissoko he would immediately be the best young perimeter defender on the team only he is so polished as an on-ball and off-ball defender right now and is an equally impressive athlete uh that i think he might be one of the best defenders on the team right away like if if the hornets were to draft him uh if not the best he is wildly athletic in the open court. He can would fly up and down the court looking for lobs from Lamelo. He would be cutting all the time. He's a very smart off-ball player to kind of make up for that lack of shooting. And on top of that, he is capable of running point guard himself. He did that very often at UConn. They had kind of a system where, I mean, Tristan Newton was their point guard and uh, Naheem Aline got a lot of reps. But Andre Jackson was like one of their main ball handlers and playmakers. He had great chemistry with their bigs. Uh, I mean, like, again, the the drawback is that he can't shoot. But other than that, like, he does almost everything else at an NBA level, and he does a couple things at a very high level. So that is a, a like a boon for a guy that you'd be getting in the, at the end of the first round. I have really no idea why people have him. Like, there are some, you know, mock drafts where he's in, like, the late 30s or the 40s or the, like, Like it's, he, to me is like Cody Martin on steroids almost like Cody is probably a better shooter at this point than Andre Jackson, but they have a lot of similar skills other than that. But Andre Jackson is just like way more athletic, way more polished of a defender at this age, better passer. Like it's, it's, it's wild to me that he would be anything lower than uh, a, for like a 30th on somebody's, somebody's board.
1: So. We we do diverge a little bit here from our being in lockstep for the last two. Uh, I have Andre Jackson somewhere in that thirty to forty range, um, and th- th- I agree with a lot of what you said. Is I just think his yes, it's not just his scoring. Sorry, it's not just his shooting. Yes, he can't shoot, but he is also just not a scorer in any way. Like his per forty numbers or his per. is it per 40 or per 36? Per Per 36, according to Tankathon, he scores eight points per game per 36 minutes. That is the single worst in the entire draft class. And that's like less than Derek Lively, who is known as, you know, he's an interior big who doesn't do anything but score putbacks. And that's it. It is, you look at the playoffs and if you are so ineffective offensively, you just need to have to be so freaking good. Like You need like PJ Tucker on defense. And I think he's good. I don't think he's going to be at that level of versatile as defender. I think at UConn this year, he was in a great situation, right? Surrounded by Sunogo, Jordan Hawkins, like all the shooting they've got, Klingon. You know, he was always the guy left open because they were being pulled in every other direction. And he did, to his credit... Took really great advantage with that. It was like fantastic at cutting, finishing back all lobs, um, did well, got table setting, but others I think is a good path, like, But I just worry when you get to like a more five and five setting where everybody needs to play a play play a role uh, and be more involved offensively, that he's just not gonna give you enough. So that that's why I think he is lower and my specific worry for Charlotte is you're looking at a team who just finished 30th in offense. Now, and you're looking to add someone like Andre Jackson. Like if you were the Kings and you were needing defensive help and you've got offensive firepower, then I actually like like his fit with someone like them a lot more. But with Charlotte, I just don't know if they have enough offense elsewhere to be able to function with Andre Jackson as a as a non-shooter elsewhere on the court. So that's that's why I'm probably not a And Andre at 27, pusher. But I would be happy with him as one of those second-round picks because I do think he's just a quirky, funky player who does some things really well that not many guys can do.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a fair case. I think, ideally, he is the worst shooter on the floor and you have some sort of spacing, pick-and-pop big to pair with him, which... At this point, the only player that fits that bill for the Hornets is PJ Washington. And with Mark Williams and Nick Richards, and he yeah,
1: doesn't play center anymore.
0: And Victor Weminyama, I'm crossing my fingers right now uh, for everybody that's listening uh, in the fold here. Hopefully, we'll have three uh, extremely talented like front court players that uh, you'd have to probably ideally that they would be the worst shooters in your lineup at, at a given time. So I definitely see the case for it. Uh, I honestly just think that he's like such a good player, uh, such a good defensive player that that he's going to be able to overcome that in some way. Uh, And I, over time, I wouldn't be surprised if he builds into not necessarily a shooter, but just somebody that you can at least like respect off of the bounce in some way, because he is a good ball handler and a good athlete and stuff like that. So I think he's going to be able to take advantage of it in some way. It just seems like a guy that will carve out an NBA role, like even if it's against odds necessarily.
1: Yeah. He's just one of those where if he wasn't playing for the national champions, UConn, where would he be in this entire draft discussion? And I'm not saying this makes him a a bad draft prospect because I think a lot of guys get overlooked for the reason because they're on teams that are like forgotten about and not thought about. And that's why they end up going a lot later. But, I I do think he is benefited from, you know, orbiting the Yukon solar system. Um, But, look, I understand the Hornets need defenders at the same time. They don't have a lot of great perimeter guys. For me, he's just like a better, like, team help defender than he is necessarily, like, a lockdown guy. Do you agree with that? Or is is, 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 is your idea with that a little bit off?
0: Uh, See, I don't know if he's necessarily, like... You know, all defense or like all cal- defense caliber player. But I you think, think he's, he's better than close. Cody Martin.
1: You mentioned Cody yes, Martin earlier. Yes, you think he's better yeah. than Cody Martin as a defender, like as a rookie or as in when we last saw him healthy?
0: Pro- pretty soon, honestly. Like, because really? I think, yeah, the, the, I'm not sure. I think Cody Martin is obviously very. Cody Martin, we have to see if he's going to be healthy first. Uh, that's going to be yeah. a very significant factor in whether or not he's like a good defender, but I honestly like Andre Jackson is a little bit bigger. He's a little bit more athletic and I, I honestly do think he's may I think he maybe isn't equal to Cody as an on ball defender, but I think he might be a little bit better off ball as like a sort of like a defensive yeah. playmaker, just making stuff happen like flying around and being like a free safety of sorts. I think he, yeah, he might be a little bit better than that. It, it, it would definitely be close, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't rule it out necessarily. I do
1: just, coaches, NBA coaches just seem to like not always value the guys who fly around and do a lot. They seem to value the guys who like just do what they want and execute the scheme and system. And um, I think that's an interesting, like those are the things that jump off the screen. Like you look at Lomelo as a rookie, you know, some of his, some of his blocks and some of his steals, they looked great, but he was actually way better defensively this year. And he probably did less of that. Right. And I, I think that's sometimes interesting. It's about, taking those instincts to help you impact your team in winning ways. Um, and yeah, just in the NBA, I, I, because I think just players are better, right? If you're helping off a guy or if you go like Rover and try and do something weird, someone just like fires a pa- pass, past like the side of your head and someone's got a back door dunk. And then you just look stupid for, for freelancing. Right. Um, it's an interesting one. I think you definitely get away with stuff more in college. Um, okay, shall we move on to stock predictions or is there anyone else you desperately want to shout about for 27 here?
0: Uh, no, I, I think I'm good. We can move on to the risers and fallers here.
1: Let's move on. So as we know, as we get into the uh, NBA draft season here, there is going to be a lot of intel, a lot of anonymous scout from Eastern Conference Championship team, says X, GMs think Y. It's all going to come. And we're going to try and predict some risers and fallers over the draft process here. And firstly, I want to reel off my little checklist of what makes a guy a draft riser. So firstly, got to be from a small school. Think Jalen Williams, UC Santa Barbara, Jake LaRavia, Wake Forest, Trey Murphy transferred from a nobody school to Virginia, Santi Aldama. Like these guys go to these small schools to get forgotten about. Suddenly they get in front with like other NBA guys, camp caliber players. They, they play well. They stand out. Guys who have impressive measurables. Oh yeah. The combine MVPs. We know they like to rise. The guys are the wingspans, the athleticism scores, the standing reaches. Then we got the late growth spurt guys. Oh, well, like we just talked about city Sissoko. Oh, he's had a late growth spurt. That's why he's a, a little bit behind. He's still growing into his body. You've also then got the small roles on good teams section, which I always think is interesting. The Dalen Terrys, the Cam Johnsons, those guys, Josh Primo, even at Alabama, those guys who weren't maybe the number one guy on their team, but because everyone was looking at the number one guy and they weren't always getting all the looks, so people forget that if they were on their own team, they would actually have some really good stats and they seem to jump up again early in the draft cycle. So those are some of the rising reasons i think there of why people rise over the draft cycle um i mentioned some names from the last kind of three or four drafts there if, if you got any other reasons here why you think people will rise over draft cycle or, or any other names of guys you want to throw out you can think of who did and reasons why
0: i think you hit the nail on the head right there honestly that was a very great entry into this discussion that we're going to have right now you Covered all of our bases here for us. Who is your your first draft riser?
1: So one guy I think is going to rise a lot over the draft cycle. Oh, I, You see, I'm torn here because I've got a top four. I, I'm going to go with... If we're just going by the number of picks where I think they're ranked now to where they will go, because obviously it's harder to move up right if you're already ranked 15. But if we're just going purely number of picks... I'm going Bobby Clintman from Wake Forest. Um, he is a small forward, power forward from Finland. So he is an, an international, which is a, another, again, like the international players generally have been seen less. That's another reason sometimes they rise. From He played at Wake Forest this year, so a, a small school. He has impressive measurables and athleticism, so he ticks that box. Um, like he was not he was a small role on the team. Like he was playing low minutes earlier in the season and then finished the year leading the team basically in minutes for the last five or 10 games. But he was by no means a featured guy. So he ticks a lot of boxes here. And I think he is a guy who could go from being a borderline undrafted late second round pick to being in the first round by draft time. I think he is this year's Jalen Williams.
0: Very interesting. See, he is actually one of the players that I I have notes on him, but I have not watched enough mm. Bobby Clinton individual tape to actually rank him on my big board yet. Neither, I have I, neither I of that. Neither there's mean, not that much I, yeah. tape. Yeah. No, because there really he really isn't.
1: Play, he would like five points, four rebounds a game. No, I he saw play, him he played
0: 678 total minutes on the season. Yeah. That is a very very limited minutes for. I
1: saw him in the tournament. Uh, the I want to say the ACC tournament, and he had a great game. Yeah, uh, when I, they I watched out. any
0: game they played against Syracuse, yes. and that was pretty much the the extent of my Bobby Clinton watching. I think they might have beaten, I think it might have been Syracuse that they knocked out in the tournament. Honestly, have already forgotten, but
1: but Bobby Kliment, a guy to keep an eye out. I'm telling you, I think I think he is a guy going to be this year's late riser. He just takes too many of those boxes.
0: Yeah, I mean, and like. From what I can tell, he's a very, like, fluid mover for his size, and teams can be really be enticed by that, I think, in open court, like, setting workouts, and it's just him in, like, a one-on-one or 2v2 or 3v3 setting. Uh, that that can definitely look pretty good in, in that yeah. setting and at least give teams reason to buy into the... Skill, set it, that he it has. was
1: the Syracuse game that I saw. So yeah, I was gonna points, say, I'm pretty sure they lost away for us in the tournament. Yeah, he, he had his best game this season in points 11 rebounds, two of six from three, uh, a block, a steal. Um, he's raw, don't get me wrong, gets some foul trouble, turns the ball over quite a bit. But like, you as soon as you saw him out there in that Syracuse game, I mean, I'd not even really heard of him much that game, but straight away, you looked at how he moved and you went NBA athlete just 100% his frame, his body, his athleticism is definitely an NBA caliber athlete and had some had some skill for a guy with a good size two. So that's my guy. How about you?
0: Well why not stick to a guy that also played in that game, but just on the oh. other team. Hey. Judah Mintz. This is another one of my guys for the class. Uh if if he isn't a riser, I would be very surprised if he stays in the class given the lack of depth uh, in the 2024 draft, uh, the fact that he's He's not like an older freshman. He's still 19. Uh, he's going to be playing a premier role on that Syracuse team next year if he were to stay and would be alongside J.J. Starling, who would be another like potential riser that could have entered this class but chose not to and could end up being a first-round pick next year. But if Judamance plays well in the combine scrimmages and workouts, he could shoot up draft boards. He's typically mocked in the like second round or undrafted right now, but he has good size for a point guard with – What looks to be a plus wingspan, he gets downhill easily, has like stop and go, like shifty change of pace athleticism as a ball handler. Uh, He only shot 30% from three this year, which and like shooting off the bounce and off the catch is going to be the knock for him. But he was nearly 50% on 30 attempts across his last 12 games. He's a very effective playmaker off the bounce uh, and out of ball screens uh, as a freshman in the ACC. Kind of reminds me of Shegill, just Alexander with like the movement and control he has as a driver. Uh, He just needs to shoot and get stronger and prove that he can defend outside of the 2-3 zone where he actually ended up getting a lot of steals. So there is promise there. Uh, I have him at like 21 on my big board right now. So definitely very high on on Judah and would not be surprised at all if he becomes one of the risers in this class because we've talked about this before. The point guard depth in this class is pretty weak and he... Could prove himself to be, I think, one of the better point guards in this class.
1: He doesn't take any of the the riser criteria. I think that I looked at before because I was going through it, as you were talking about it. I was like, not, doesn't quite. But yeah, not I, not
0: quite. But uh, I, I do, guess he doesn't. It's not a small school, but Syracuse isn't necessarily known no. for draft prospects, so that that yeah. maybe counts in the, in that regard. I guess
1: he is someone I do agree. If he doesn't rise up into, I think, the top. 40 like he'll get a two-way contract if he goes and drafted or gets picked like 45 plus anyway so he's he's obviously looking for a guaranteed nba contract um it'll be he'll be an interesting name to watch and he'll definitely be someone who i think would be available to charlotte in that 27 to 40 range with their various picks if they wanted to go that way um you have him ahead of Marcus Sasser, who we discussed earlier
0: yes yeah i do wow uh, I had him. I had him ahead of Kobe Bufkin for a while as well, but I I watched some Kobe. I think, you'll, games come around and around Mar- I think you'll
1: come around to I think you'll come around a Marcus above Judah. I think you'll you'll see through the your your Syracuse lens, and you're gonna you're gonna. <laughs> I usually I Marcus usually don't
0: really it. like Syracuse prospects, so this is a rare this is a rarity, honestly.
1: Okay, um, let's move on to. F- Guys who we think might fall. I've got some other candidates I can like quickly mention. I've got um, Max Lewis. Uh, obviously, we've talked about him before on the podcast. I know you're a big fan. Leonard Miller, although I think that bandwagon is maybe already started. I, was, I
0: had him on my short yeah. list, but I was like, I don't it's think died. I should do that because it's it's probably already left the station. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's, he's going to be a top 20 pick now, it seems, like maybe yeah. even late lottery. And even a month ago, he was probably late first round, early second but I think people have caught up on the film from the end of the Julia Ignite season. And again, another late, he's, he's another one. He's an international Canada high school system, late growth spurt. So only grew up to be six foot 10 in the last couple of years, um, played a small role on a kind of, well, not a small role, but played a role on an Ignite team where he wasn't the single focus for the team. It was obviously other guys there, super impressive measurables, he takes a lot of those riser boxes, but like you say, I, th- I think it's happening. Um, like uh, other guys, uh, Brandon Podzmenski again, another small school guy. I think Amari Bailey is interesting, like, he's ba- basically in the draft. And his stats, when you look at his stats, basically after Jalen Clark got injured at UCLA, he was a much better draft prospect than he was before then um and he's a guy who i do think could rise up boards in this process Uh, but he's not a great athlete he's not a great com i don't think he's gonna be a combine darling and that's my my worry there uh but let's get on to the the kind of guys who we think could drop and again that what are the reasons people drop around this time of year and there is one major reason intel 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 this is where people are digging into the history, speaking to the the janitors from school, speaking to the high school coaches, speaking to their third cousin, trying to get everything they can, speaking to the officials who refereed their games. And this is why guys slide on draft night and you're going, how is person X? This is how Josh Primo ended up... Not Josh Primo. This is how... Um, oh, we were talking Kevin about Porter. before... No, the, the mini the mini point guard who played for Auburn, who you talked about in the G League. Oh, uh, Sharif Cooper. Sharif Cooper, thank you. That's how Sharif Cooper dropped to the second round and draft night. Um, the other one, I do think, is the athletic testing. You know, if you go to the combine and your body fat percentage or your standing reach or wingspan like puts you in a percentile of player where your only other company in terms of like history of the draft combine are guys who busted it's not it's like just a reason to kind of flag you for teams if there are no guys who play your position and have your kind of like size and measurements if there's no history of that ever succeeding in the nba that's going to create some some issues for you so those are the only two reasons i really like think you guys see guys really not just guys other move above them, but they really do drop and move down the boards. Oh, and the other one is medicals, right? Medicals. Derek Whitehead, we talked about at the start. Um, Joel Embiid, we saw medicals drop. Jared Sullinger back in the day dropped because of medicals. Malcolm Brogdon dropped because of medicals at the time. Um, you know, it happens every draft cycle. There'll be a guy who has a, a big injury issue. Uh, Jared Butler for um, Butler, uh, Baylor, a few years ago, dropped because of heart condition medicals. Those are the three key reasons. Uh, Chase, who do you think might be dropping this draft cycle from now?
0: All right. So my number one draft follower, which this was a kind of similar to Leonard Miller. I think uh, even though it's uh, unfortunately in a more negative connotation, I think this train has already left the station as well, but uh, it's Keontae George. The, and this is another, this perfectly falls under the uh, athletic testum category. I'm, Fairly worried about what the lack of like explosion and inability to play point guard or be a top scoring option uh combined with the inf- or inconsistent three-point efficiency means for like what his NBA translation would be. He only had three dunks this season, um, which is very, very poor and exceptionally low for what would be like a high level NBA prospect, especially somebody that would, you know in at their peak be like one of your top ball handlers leading scorers and whatnot uh, and he also shot below 35 percent on two-point jumpers and threes uh, and he's only 6'4 so there's not a ton of positional size there either uh, he has like elite touch and is a, actually like a pretty decent defender I think and isn't a bad passer for you know what would be an off-ball guard but I think he's more suited as like an off-ball guard like microwave scorer than a true combo or even like a point guard uh than somebody like like Anthony Simons or Jordan Poole or Malik Monk or somebody that's like that similar size and you know not necessarily like the most efficient player but can still get it done because they offer you know things in other ways I don't necessarily know if Keontae checks enough of those boxes to be like that high level and that's a as much as i think the nba is coming around on players like that you still have to hit like a pretty high threshold uh as like an on-ball shot creator and like the productiveness that you can have in that role to be able for or for teams to want to give it to you
1: he's he's a high usage player and he calls his own number a lot um and if you're gonna do that you have to be good (laughs) yes Um,
0: exactly exactly like it sounds very simple but that's (laughs) literally that's it like (laughs) yeah
1: like you know he it's difficult because you see the highlights come to george you go this guy's a top six pick like he really does
0: have like elite touch on some of these his his, like yeah and his
1: his handle i've seen like split double teams like a pro like hard hedges are amazing he's hit these like double clutch three pointers multiple times this year where there's a guy closing out on him, you know, some of the stuff he can do is is special. But his decision-making package to go along with his skill set is a disaster. And they coached him hard this year. And we talk about Intel being a reason someone dropped. He got benched multiple times in games this year because the coaching staff did not like the decision-making that he was making. And they would bench him and they would talk to him in a very intense manner. It's how I would describe it. Um, and like I, I, to his credit, he took it well. He didn't like fight back or anything like that. He he took it, but that is still like he was not always functioning within the the kind of guardrails of what I think Baylor wanted to do, and they had to try and keep him on a short leash to do that. And I think teams will have noticed that. So I think it's I think it's a great pick. It's not one that I head down, but I think it's a great pick.
0: All right, hit me with yours.
1: I mean the easy one here is Gigi Jackson because Fair. but but that int- I, I, that Intel's been around for so long that I think it might like you say already left the station. He's already kind of like down in the the late 20s to early 30s range. Um, there's not a lot of guys who could, who've, I mean Derek Wyhead might fit this category now. we talked about him. I'm going to throw out another name, which I think, well, I know you're going to hate. Um, and it's, it's strictly down to the athletic testing and the injuries. And that is Bryce Sensaba um, from Ohio State, who is a... Ooh,
0: tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. I'm throwing tomatoes at my computer screen right now.
1: I, I know you are. Um, and he is a six foot six scoring wing um, absolutely insane kind of like finishing package. But the reason I have major concern is he is what you would call doughy. Uh, that's for sure. Like he is a ground-bound athlete. He's very slow, very heavy for a wing. Um, and he had two knee surgeries in high school on a meniscus. And he also missed the end of this college season with a knee injury as well. And I think when you're looking at someone with that physique who is heavy set and is he heavy set because of those knee injuries, or is that or are the knee injuries because he is playing heavy? and that I think probably raises some questions maybe about his work ethic to stay healthy. like he was just unfit in games. Like he did not have wind, he was not able to play high minutes even though a State estate needed him. Um, So it is a mixture here of if he goes to the combine and registers like Royce White level fat percentages and the knee that he's already had surgery on twice and had another injury on to end the season is like bothering him and he's limited in workouts. I do think teams could look at it and go, I just let's wipe it the risk. Let's go elsewhere. So this isn't really about Bryce's skill set because I've actually probably a little bit higher than I even was the last time I spoke to you about Bryce Ansabaugh for like actually what can do on the court, but it's the stuff off the court, which gives me more concerns that I think he could drop.
0: Yeah. See, I, I am obviously a little bit concerned about his athletic ability or else he would be like approaching the top five in this class, just due to the pure like level of efficiency at every level of scoring that he has displayed this year as a freshman in a major conference. Uh I I it's totally fair criticism. I'm not gonna say that, you know, I I disagree with any of it necessarily. He's not a great athlete. Uh he doesn't necessarily, you know, draw a lot of contact or get to the rim at a super high rate. When he does get to the rim, he tends to, you know, roll like bounce off of somebody and spin off of them and hit some sort of ridiculous fade away and make yep. it look, he makes it look very easy in the process. And it is definitely not. Uh, and it might not translate to the NBA in the same level uh, as it does in college. But I just think that, I mean, if, if he is even an average athlete in and or even slightly below average and gets, he, I don't even necessarily think he has to like get more in shape necessarily. He just has to be able to like, like you said, play like have a higher minutes load and be more of like an on ball player uh and be more so and like stay better- healthy yeah and, to, and to stay healthy and stuff obviously but i mean if that is all there like he might be like almost like an all-star level player like he's going to put up like what probably well north of 20 points per game if he hits and everything pans out and like I, we just with how efficient know, that, he's going to uh, with awesome. how efficient he's going to be
1: well like, he it, was very efficient in his one season but I I don't know if any team is going to give Bryce Sensaba like the keys. You see Cam Thomas of Brooklyn and like, yeah, he scores 40 points whenever he gets minutes. He's still not in the rotation on a regular basis because he doesn't really create for others and he doesn't defend. And he is like, you you have to run the game through him. And if he's on, he's on. And if he's not, then he's going to shoot your teams out of games. Now we've never seen Bryce be, inefficient but we'd never seen cam thomas being inefficient before he got the nba as well so I, like he was one of those that if he went to like houston this year and he played 35 minutes a game yeah he would score 20 points no doubt but i don't know if there's a team out there playing winning basketball where they're going to just like roll the ball to bryce and say go do it for us
0: I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a very real chance he gets to a point in his career where he's good enough as a scorer to where he can be just like smaller Michael Porter Jr. Basically just like scoring such a high level scoring specialist that he can be on the court often enough because he's going to produce enough points to counteract whatever he might give up defensively. And I actually, I'm, I think I'm a little higher on his defense anyway, just because of how like strong he is and, like able-bodied that if he's healthy, like he's at least going to be a decent on-ball guy, I think. But all right. Anything else, anybody else that we have for, for followers here? No, I, that's I, it. I, I, that's I struggled it with this one too. I didn't have, have many written down anyway. So I, th- I it'll think be,
1: that... it'll come out. It'll come out. Some of the, yeah. the th- the key things to look for is in the mock drafts. If someone guides, if someone just drops 10 places and someone writing about them, doesn't really say why they've dropped 10 places. What that's probably mean is they've got intel, which they're just not able to share because it's probably off the record. Um, So that's the kind of thing to keep an eye out for when you're looking at these mock drafts by guys who are well sourced. So that's, you know, ESPN, No Ceilings, uh, The Ringer. Keep an eye out for those guys who suddenly drop spots. And if it's just like, oh, and, you know, we're not sure about this, like nothing's changed from the the tape, like that's noise that they're hearing from scouts. So that's what keep an eye out for. But nope. Nothing else from me, Chase. Um, it was great talking about some of more of these prospects with you. I enjoyed the episode, and uh, yeah, interested to keep an eye on some of these names as the draft process unfolds.
0: I enjoyed it as well. Thank you to everybody for listening. We got the lottery in eleven days from when we're recording this. So
1: yes, we do, and we will have a lottery pod coming out within four hours of the draft lottery, and we'll have a reaction pod afterwards as well. So make sure that you're subscribed to the All Hornets podcast channel and we'll speak to you soon. See ya.